not entirely sure that the content of this program is appropriate for anyone. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for returning to Fusebox. This is the second installment, Cross Currents, which will all become very clear as we go on. But, uh, wow, um, I just got to say, starting, uh, starting out here, that uh, I was rather uh, <laughs> overwhelmed, maybe, by the... Um, remarkably wonderful um, feedback from the first program that we did here on the Unsug Network. And uh, I have to tell you, um, let me just say that when we get reactions like that, when we get favorable response, particularly genuinely honest response like that, uh, from people seen and unseen, I might add here, that uh, it's really the right medicine. It certainly is for me. Because you see right here, See, this doesn't have any bullets anymore because I decided halfway through that, nah, maybe I'll do this. That's right. So anyway, I, I no, honestly, I really want to thank everybody who uh, took the time to sort of uh, chime in there and uh, do the welcome aboard thing. And cause I don't know any of the folks really, on, except for Frank, only tangentially uh, on this network. But it, it does feel a lot like we're picking up the conversation where we left it off. And uh, I am really, really gratified by that. And uh, personally speaking, I promise, I am making a promise right here, right now, that I will keep the wriggling squids of destiny from leaving that closet over there. And right now, Chelsea, would you check that closet, make sure they're still... Are they still there? Go ahead, just... Yeah, just... Stop it! Oh. Oh. Yeah, I'm going to clean up, and uh, I'll be right back. Here's a file 13. File 13. Next up on C-SPAN, the first in a series of three senatorial debates between incumbent Senator Bob Fusky and a gigantic praying mantis. The American dream has always been about bigness and hugeness. More is what we want, and more is what we're going to get. As long as... So, yeah, I, again, I just want to reiterate that uh, all of the comments that I received have, have been the right medicine for sure. And also, I really think we're going to have fun on these uh, subsequent shows. I've already 
started seeding the garden with those particular ideas. And uh, I'm surprised I still have friends. So that's good. And uh, also, I just want to say a couple of things have happened as I've been listening to other programs on this network here uh, of them. One by PQ River called uh, the Quake Reversal Satellite, which I've been listening to for a long time anyway, but I, I really enjoy it. He, he, dropped, he dropped a little bomb the other day, and I was amazed that somehow he was referencing this particular subject because he'd already talked about it, and I had completely missed it somewhere. I don't know where or how, but so it comes about that uh, his uh, collaborator in crime there, Jimbo, who is an avid Vic and Sade fan and curator, if you have never been to his his site to witness that, you should. VicandSade.blogspot.com uh, Well, anyway, it, it comes to my attention through this rather random comment that there are unproduced scripts of this show and somehow... There might be a uh, invitation to kind of maybe create some of those. And, uh, of course, that got all these gears spinning. Here they are right now. Yeah, captivated by this, this idea. Because I really think, certainly within the voice community that I'm part of, there are numerous folks in here who would just put themselves down in front of a moving train, you know, to get access to something like that. One of the folks I work with, who will be a guest on this show, I promise, has a uh, group out here called the Willamette Radio Workshop. His name is Sam A. Mowry. And uh, Sam's a very big voice, huge Orson Wellesian type of voice, amazing. But anyway, uh, he has so many very talented people in his talent pool. M- many of those who have, and you'll hear them as time goes on, have done stuff for us. And also big fans of recreating classic radio and uh, has a reputation for, I think I mentioned this before, he's, he's done um, uh, what kind of got them on the map was a, a very accurate re- recreation of uh, War of the Worlds, uh, which they've been doing tirelessly, <laughs> it seems, just about every year because somebody wants it and, you know, they put it up. And uh, we've had a lot of fun adding new elements to that. But anyway... He's got a cast of folks that I'm sure would be delighted to take part. And if I may be so bold as to suggest, uh, just I'm thinking out loud here, if I was casting this and if I had anything to say about that, I probably would not cast people who sound alike. That's When you get into that world, you kind of paint yourself in a corner because there may be somebody who sounds like a character, but they couldn't act their way out of a paper bag. And in this particular show, folks, I have to stress that the acting chops are really phenomenally huge, a big requirement. So we need to find folks who can really do that and get the characterization accurately. So I'm going to be looking for people... Um, that basically get the intention of these characters and the cadence. That's really important so that that could cut, you know, kind of happen and we don't feel that we're creating all new people, which I don't think would be, <laughs> that wouldn't be my desire. I, I think this thing has really established itself as a very specific form and we just need to kind of take the ride with it. And I think it would be hilariously wonderful. So I'm putting that on the burner and I'm going to chat with people and 
Well, if you don't hear from me, that's because I've been abducted. But uh, I, I think we'll find some cooperation there uh, without question. And also, another little thank you to PQ for turning me on to something which I had not heard of. It's called the Digital Comic Museum. Well, I spent several uh, hours in the wee morning going through the, there because I've, I've, uh, I've come across this site called, I don't think it's is it Comic Vines or something like that, which publishes all these covers of magazines from as far back as you can imagine to relatively current. It's a great searching resource if you're if you're curious about what the cover of a particular thing looked like. But that's about the extent of it. I mean, you couldn't get into the magazine or any of that. But this is pretty amazing. You can download these things and read them and oogle and ah and all that kind of stuff. And uh, oogling, huh? you were oogling. Yes, I was. I was oogling and eyeing. Is that okay? Is it can we just take the meds? Everybody else does. You know, thinking about the immediacy of response got me thinking uh, a little while ago about what um, what the days were like back in the Jurassic days of early radio syndication, <laughs> of which I was a part, uh, at least for our show. There's no analogy to that, for that these days. Um, by that, I mean how soon it took for someone to respond to something you did. We're conditioned now to kind of expect it almost that it that there will be some some reaction or or crickets if that's worthy of it too that can happen. Uh, it's happening right now. Thank you. The thing it brought to mind for me was back in the days when we were doing um, dry smoke. You know, back in the public radio days. Well, it just seemed like there was there was nobody out there. You know, and we were operating in a vacuum. And uh, even back in those days, where you know an episode would have several hundred edits and that kind of stuff uh, for a half-hour show, which consumed a great deal of time. I don't care what kind of show you're doing. It, it, it consumes time. That thing, because we were wrestling with tape and multi-tracks and all that kind of stuff back in the day, eh, very, very cumbersome. And you, the, the weight of that responsibility would get heavier and heavier, probably equal to the lack of response that you'd be getting on a weekly basis from whatever it is. And it didn't mean that people didn't enjoy it because if you ever did come in contact with somebody, like, oh, it's amazing. It's, oh my God, it's love. Well, you, well, where are you? You know, and you can't make people do that. I mean, when you, when you reach a certain celebrity status, it happens anyway, but <laughs> we weren't there. So it, it, it's kind of a lonely place. And uh, I remember fondly, <clears throat> not at the time, but now, that I had hit the wall, pretty much. I'd gotten to that point where I was questioning whether or not I should do this because I was starting to, to get into a, a little more of the commercial work and, and you know, producing for people and, and doing that stuff, which was about as far from creative as you can, you can get, at least the kind of creative I liked. And that, you know, became a money thing because you're making money now. And, oh, God, you know, there's that. And, well, you do have to keep the lights going and all that. So it, those sorts of logistics were getting very heavy. And then, then just the lack of response out there. Yeah, I took that, took that bus into uh, an Ingmar Bergman movie. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, like that. I reached a point where I was just about ready to redirect, you know, and uh, 
So I trot out to the mailbox that day, and I see an envelope in there, and it's from National Public Radio. Now, we didn't have anything to do with National Public Radio, to be honest with you. We did public radio, but we syndicated our own show, so it wasn't we weren't affiliated with them. However, one of our shows somehow ended up in the clutches of uh, one of these programs like, you know, Voices in the Wind or whatever that <laughs> whatever was called back in the day. Of the butterfly. Yes, exactly. Back in those days, people would distribute things because that they were they were all these tapes were literally tapes were bicycled, so to speak, to various uh, radio stations across the country. And you never knew what happened to them. I mean, we didn't get them back. So, you know, they were in the archive of the station. So someone may have passed it along to somebody. Who knows? But whatever it was, here's this letter from NPR. And it's got a handwritten address to me. It's not typed. It's like, well, that's interesting. So I take it inside and I quickly open it up. And the stationery on the inside of the envelope is has the uh, logo of a program called The New Show. Now, if any of you are old enough to remember this, there was a program on NPR in the early 80s that was hosted by a guy named David Osman. David Osman uh, is and was a founding member of, of one of my favorite troops of all time, the Firesign Theater. And uh, if you are not familiar with their work, I urge you to go find it somewhere, hopefully in a way that profits them. But if not... Go find it, because it is the reason, at least that I'm sitting here, and it is the reason why many of us have, have pursued this particular road. So I open this up, and it says, in rough terms, it was, you know, hey, hang in there, blah, 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 hang in there, that kind of thing. That's what I took away from it anyway, hang in there. And it's a good thing, because uh, that couldn't have been better medicine either. That was amazing somebody who had actually taken the time to do that. I had the grand fortune to uh, uh, go to a convention. We, we had won an honorable mention at the, uh, what was that called now? Uh, Convergence Convention, I think. It's, it, it goes hand in hand with uh, the Mark Time Awards that uh, David Osman and uh, I think Peter Proctor at that time had, had engineered and uh, we want to, like a, you know, like I said, an honorable mention. And we decided to go out because what the hell? It's Proctor and Osman. I, that would be amazing. So I got there a day early and I, I was able to hang out in the bar with David Osman for several quality hours, which was really fun because he lives in Seattle. It's just off, off the coast of Seattle there. He uh, invited us up to see a... Uh, what was that? It was Waiting for the Electrician or Someone Like Him. They, they, they reenacted that album, um, but it wasn't with the entire Firesign cast. It was David, his wife, his son <laughs> playing the part now that I think uh, Bergman played, I, I, or parts that Bergman played, and a cast of other folks who just lived up there. And uh, it was quite, quite amazing and quite fun to see. But uh, that's what I'm kind of saying, is that... We're never sure where these things are going to come from in terms of, of people reaching out and saying, wow, we really enjoyed that. You know, and it's, it, I, I, I keep harping on it because it's, it's a message to me too, because I, I really want to do that with programs that, uh, that, that strike me that way. And um, 
I just think it's valuable to the producer. It's valuable to anyone who's doing it. And, you know, not disingenuous, but you know what I mean. It's the real heartfelt stuff. So it is good medicine for all of us involved. And I'll be back after this important word. It's the Futures Investment Hour with Kenny Williams. Welcome to Futures Investment Hour. On the line with us from uh, Merritt, Wisconsin, Josh Feeder of Merrill Goldman Futures. Josh, a lot of exciting opportunities out there, as I understand it. Yes, Kenny. There are incredible opportunities in wheat, lumber, squid heads, and rhinestones. You name it. If you have $1,000, $2,500, $5,000 or more, and you invested 10 months ago or right now, you could have earned a 10, 20, even 100 to 1,000% return on your investment. So what can our listeners do to take advantage of these incredible futures opportunities. Pick up the phone, dial 1-800-252-3356, and talk to one of our qualified investment counselors. That's 1-800-252-3356. 1-800-252-3356. Now, can you get a little more specific, Josh? Where are the best opportunities right now, today? Well, there was a massive earthquake in Kyrgyzstan this week that killed well over 50,000 people. Sucks for them. Great for us, because that means lumber, asphalt, rebar, rhinestones, huge demand. If you've got $1,000, $2,500, $5,000 or more to invest, you could earn twenty, five hundred, even $5,000 a day, not including compound interest, plus an additional ten dollars to $100,000 roll around per hour. Wow. I've done a little math here on my end, and I'm seeing the potential for millions of dollars profit. Is that right, Josh? Kenny, could be millions. Could be billions. For example, a horrific volcanic eruption last week virtually destroyed the entire island of Mangatan, killing everyone, with the exception of a few wealthy tourists that were able to charter helicopters. Bad news if you're a Mangatanian. Incredible news if you've got $1,000, $5,000 or more to invest. Because you could earn up to $100 million in the next 10 weeks. That's a 1 billion percent increase. And that's 1-800-252-3356. And talk to one of our qualified investment counselors. <laughs> well, I can't imagine why anyone wouldn't pick up the phone and call 1-800-252-3356. Can you, Josh? Kenny, not when there was a nuclear accident in Cabo San Cava that irradiated thousands of square hectares of agricultural land, leading to a famine that will, some say tragically, kill millions. But if you have $1,000, $5,000 more to invest, you could make a dollar or more per dead Cava San Cava. 1-800-252-3356. Kenny, or a typhoon that killed 20,000 in Bhutan could, could earn our listeners thousands of dollars a second. Two five two three three five six. Call now. Or, or how about this opportunity? Half the population of Imago committed suicide last week in a gruesome bloodletting that could net our listeners trillions. We'll be right back. Well, we were talking about NPR. Something dawned on me that that um, I think maybe I'm not the only one who's perceived this, but. Uh, NPR has changed. <laughs> See, back when I was growing up, uh, back again in that Jurassic time I was telling you about, well, back in that time, we had this. Alternative. 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 Radio. That's right. Alternative radio. That's what they actually called it. Actually, people like Firesign Theater and Frank Zappa and, you know, fill-in-the-blank Disaster Corporation People were actually getting airplay in the middle of the day, not at Monday morning at 2 a.m. No, they were really 
in rotation. You would hear a lot of that stuff even earlier than that, as long, and, and as well as you know, progressive music of the time. So they were really quite different because right now, as we look at the NPR type of thing, you will be hard-pressed to find any audio drama. You'll find Prairie Home Companion, which, as I was saying the other day, they can't really afford to get rid of because it occupies a space in NPR time-space continuum that if they actually removed it, it might be sucked up its own sphincter. I don't know. I, I'm just thinking that that's possible. There are great shows on there. Very well produced and really interesting stuff. Uh, Radio Lab is, I know, is it Radio Lab? I think it's Radio Lab. Is one of my favorites um, or whatever it's called. Really like their attitude. And uh, so there is stuff being done, but where did it all go? Because it's not like it's not being done, which is one of the great things about this medium today is that more and more people are getting involved in this and are producing what we would then have called radio drama. It's sometimes called audio drama now. It's being done. People are doing it, whether they're doing reenactments of uh, older stories or their own stuff or whatever. It's back. And I, and I think that's great. It speaks to both the desire of those folks who remember it, but also to the audience that's apparently now keen to listen again. That was our big deal, is that getting people to listen to the radio, even in the 80s, was really hard. And by the way, that was the Reagan era. Yeah. So, really hard. And uh, th- even more hard to get grants. <laughs> we were lucky to get one from the National Endowment, and I don't know how that happened. I have absolutely no, no clue whatsoever. I'm, I, I, I'm delighted. But, wow. Really? Wow. Uh, I don't know when the last time is they funded anything in this world. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it, it's, it's, it's happened. And luckily, we, there are other ways to do that these days. We don't need organizations like that as much. We were sort of uh, striking out alone there for a while. The, the, the individual radio station might put up a one-off or something. Or, uh, and then there was Tom Lopez and ZBS Media who was doing stuff pretty consistently and, and really cool stuff. And there was, of course, the commercial end of it, which to some extent, at least in those days, was still sort of out there. The CBS uh, Mystery Theater went for quite a while. That's a commercial deal. Jim French, who I think is still producing uh, in, in uh, Seattle, was doing stuff. And so there was a little bit of that component, but they were more and more and more being relegated to the sort of, you know, oldie station and then eventually... Only bats could hear the signal. You know, that kind of thing. So they'd be quietly sort of, yeah, yeah, being quietly put out. So it got, it got kind, of, kind of quiet. So now we see sort of a renaissance of stuff and all kinds of different things, which is why I think I'm, I'm so excited about this again, is that it is all kinds of stuff. And I find that stuff really captivating. I don't care if it's somebody going to the grocery store to buy a carton of milk. It's the fact that you're taking that trip with that person to do that. And you get to experience all of that stuff that's happening there. And uh, that's, (laughs) for me, that's just really compelling for two reasons. I just, A, I just really enjoy being kind of the audio voyeur and something like that. But the other thing is, as it applies to my actual work, I'm listening to that background for randomness. What is it that makes up a truly random background. 
Frank Nora on the Overnightscape has hundreds and hundreds and thousands of hours <laughs> of Manhattan background. And uh, once you start experiencing that from, from that world, it's like uh, it really does tend to inform how you, or at least, you know, in my world, how I would construct that as work. So, uh, so it's fascinating. I, I, it's, it's just, yeah, I never, I'm never going to get tired of that. And I know it's also a penchant from time to time to talk about the interesting realities of this existence. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to go right there with you. I'm going to go right there with you. Well, well, take take this guy right here. Huh? Yeah, that's right. You. What? Come here. No. Yeah, I know, but come here. What, what do you want? I have nothing to say to the press at this time. You'll have to clear that with me. <clears throat> he, he purports <clears throat> to... Hand I'm sorry, but he purports to be a congressman. I am a very well-respected pillar of my community, and I... W I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. But I'm going to show you something right now. Well, you can't see it, but you'll be able to get the idea. If you if you unhinge them right here, look, like this... What are you doing? Stop! Just, yeah, simple pop! Ah, there you go. See? Now, you see what's in there? That's an insect. That's actually not a human being. That's actually an insect. Now, here's the thing. When you expose them like this, you know, kind of get them free to the air, what happens is in a few seconds to... That's what happens. So what I'm saying is... What you're saying is he's an insect. Yes. That's what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is... That there are times in our reality where you really wonder, what the hell's going on? I don't know how many have seen David Cronenberg's testimony to video games called Existence, but if you have not, and you like David Cronenberg, or even if you don't, and you just like video games, go take a look at this. Uh, there's a segment in there, and I don't know if, if this has happened to you. I'm assuming this probably has happened to a lot of people. Uh, where you're going somewhere... I mean, you're in some retail establishment or, or hell, maybe you're just talking to somebody and you ask a question or make a statement or something and the person does not respond necessarily. It's almost as if they didn't hear you. In Existence, there's this segment where the two characters come up to this uh, gentleman and they, they ask him a question and he, he does a video lock. He just sort of loops. He... He's uh, stuttering, if you will. He's not saying anything, but his image is sort of fluttering back and forth as he's standing there. And uh, uh, one of the characters remarks that, oh, he, yeah, see, he's waiting for the right question. He's not going to respond until you give him the right. And then once you give him the right question, then he comes up to speed and everything's cool. I think sometimes, um, you know, it's been purported that maybe not everybody hears totally real. I don't know. Uh, but uh, if that is the case, then some of them may be non-role-playing game characters. This could happen. And I don't know. You know, you have to ask them the right question. It's that little piece of reality that starts getting peeled away. And you got to ask that question. Is this real or... Is it Memorex? Yeah, or that, which four people re will remember, I'm sure. Thanks in a strange tangential way brings up this other topic that I uh, I was thinking about. You know, it's this rather sad, tragic thing that happened in France at, uh, what is it, Charlie Hebdo or whatever it's called, uh, that magazine. I don't know, has any, have any of you seen the actual illustrations that were posted that 
resulted in this horrible thing? Well, somebody sent them to me. If you look at them, they're actually quite funny. <laughs> I'm sorry. They, they, they actually are quite funny. And uh, I, uh, I, I, oh, fire, dude. I don't mean to trounce on anybody's, you know, religious or spiritual thing. That's not my job. But I, I, I will say that I think what's happening lately, and this does tangentially link to this whole NPR thing, trust me. I think we're going a, a, a wee bit over cautious about everything. Our lives are becoming an endless eggshell walk. And I think we can't do that. And I know there's a, there's a median ground here. There's where you're going to, you don't want to be disrespectful. You don't, you know, it's not about that. It's just that things are becoming a little bit too serious. My rationale for this too was the shape of, of a lot of programming, television programming, which seems to be one of two camps. It's, it's either extre- extremely trendy or it's kind of edgy and sort of not politically correct for the very same reason. And uh, yeah, it just doesn't seem like there's a happy medium there. And I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to know where this is going to shake out. I, I think we all just need to relax <laughs> because, you know, what will happen is if everybody takes the joke, if everybody's cool with it, it's a happier place. You're not insulting somebody. It, that's not the. I really don't think that the energy in a lot of these these satires is to is vindictive. Sometimes it is, but not the majority of the time. It's it's what we do. Satire is it's a commentary on our environment as we see it right now. So I think it's actually a healthy expression. It also gets you closer to the you know eternal smile that that, that that's really all is right. So. I think stuff like that is is kind of influencing our culture right now in a way that's making it very strange. And that's why we're having to find other outlets for certain kinds of expression, which really may be evaporating. And that's a, that's a troublesome thing. I mean, you think about some of the comedy that was done in the 60s and 70s, some of the more aggressive comedy I'm thinking of. Couldn't do it now. Couldn't do it. Well, I mean, even non-aggressive comedy like Amos and Andy Regardless who the actors were, what their ethnicity was, the fact of the matter is you couldn't do it. <laughs> it would not be possible, irrespective of whether it's funny or not. Doesn't matter. You just, that's verboten. Cannot go there. And, you know, in some cases I get it. But in other cases, it's like, that's it's kind of sad because these are interesting characters. You know, it's just, it's fun. It's fun radio. But even cartoons have taken this on the chin, you know. I mean, you remember that that time that wasn't too long ago where I think it was uh, Tom and Jerry was like on the carpet for being ultra violent. No, not no, not really. It's a cartoon, folks. <laughs> Please. You know, I mean, I get it, but still have a pill. Interesting sort of filtering that's happening. And that's kind of what I was saying about NPR is that I, it seems to be getting more and more vapid. There's just this homogenization that's happening in radio, pre- predominantly on the, the loftier sides of things. And I'm, it's okay then, because what's happening is what's happening right here. That's why. Because what's happening right here is going to change and is changing and is part of the change of all of this future media. This whole one hose where everything comes from thing now.
Those guys have enjoyed that for far too long, and now it's time to kind of turn it around and maybe put the choice back in the in the hands of the viewer, which won't make a lot of folks happy because, you know, there are things connected to that, like advertising and all that. And, well, we get it, but, you know, <laughs> it's a new day. Sadly, Tim, the postman, was mistaken for a chew toy by a local rabid dog. Oh, nice doggy. Hey, little doggy. How are you? So, suffice to say that I'm delighted with subscription media. I don't care what it is. I think that's great. I think it will afford the producer and the the filmmaker and the writer and all that an amazing place to play. And the audience will get really interesting work. Eh, they'll get some stupid stuff too. But, you know, I think the playing field being that large, it's going to get really niche very fast. And so they're going to target their audience pretty quick. And, you know, you're going to... I think this is a, a, a very good sign. So uh, in terms of media you know, as that is concerned. Two of two of the projects that I want to get out, one of them I started back in 2008. It's um, a, a, a musical project, but it involves a lot of uh, spoken word and little bits and stuff. And it's a, it's a fun thing. It was, it, like I say, it started back in 2008 and it's, it's taken, you know, six years. <laughs> uh, well, it's not that it was that intense, really. It's just that life intervenes and, you know, how it goes. So you get you get pulled away from it. So anyway, I got it done. It's it's uh, right now. It's awaiting mastering, and as soon as that's done, then we're trying to figure out a way to do this. Um, and we've been talking about all sorts of different packaging because back in the back in the '70s, when we were first approaching uh, not radio, actually, we were uh, and we I'm talking about Gerald McQuinn, who was a writing partner of mine. We were approaching publishers to do a series of books that uh, we thought would be really cool and uh, had a nibble or two that never really panned out because we were pitching that at a time where that kind of book wasn't really in style and it wouldn't be until two years later that it would be in style. Yeah, we were just a little ahead of that notion. But even then, uh, the idea that a book wasn't going to be enough it's not enough to convey this particular thing we were talking about. And we wanted to work in some other form of media, but everything we thought of was either out of our range or untenable. And it just doesn't seem, it, it didn't seem at the time to be a, a viable pathway. And now we're in a very unique place. The innovation of this sort of ebook thing, which brings together multiple parts of multimedia together to tell a story, is really interesting to me because I have a funny feeling that that could be a great vehicle for many of these concepts we're talking about. Because even with this musical thing I'm, I'm finishing up here, yeah, I was never seeing this as a CD. It first of all, it was created at a bit rate that's outside the realm of human kin, <laughs> so it wasn't going to go that way. So it was like, well, what? How else can I bring in this visual element that is kind of critical to it? I'm, I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is we're trying to hybridize this particular thing. So it's a, it's, it's a, it's a collection of different media's that 
create this one overall thing. And that could be a really interesting way to go. And it looks as though that is possible. Um, looks like it can happen. And so we need to work that out. But, you know, I'm wondering too, in, out there of, of the folks who are uh, listening, in terms of tangible media, I'd, I'd love to know what your thoughts are uh, in terms of how many folks are really still connected to hard media like CDs and, and DVDs and stuff like that. The DVD I almost understand still because there are extras. <laughs> there are things connected to this disc that you can't get in a streaming content. Not yet. I don't know if they've worked it out or they're trying to or they have to go to Mars to find it. I don't know. But whatever it is, we don't have it today. The CD thing, in my estimation, is done. It's just, it's not, not only is it an inferior audio delivery system, it's just bulky and problematic. And most of us, if we're still buying the occasional CD, what's the first thing that happens? You take that little thing out and you rip it to something and then maybe you stick it in a binder or maybe you just whatever, right? So it's not like it has great intrinsic value like, well, the albums used to with all the art and the big stuff you could actually see. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it just doesn't have that kind of packaging thing anymore. And I was talking to somebody who's in this business of DVD and CD replication and they said, here's the thing. The only thing keeping us alive right now is the specialty packaging because nobody is buying the onesie-twosie thing anymore. They're buying box sets and fancy packaging and all that. That's selling. And that's keeping it almost alive enough to justify the rest. It's going to fail. The CD stuff is doomed. We know that. Even bands these days have, have found a different way to go about that. I mean... It, I know there's there's a, a, a quotient out there that is sort of re-embracing the vinyl thing, which, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, I hated vinyl even when I was five. Couldn't stand it. But anyway, there is that, and it, it has its charm for many, and that's fine. But I think the CD thing is kind of over, and we're all kind of seeking content in, in other ways. And so I think we're there. We're at this crossroads where something new could possibly happen that, uh, or disparate parts that are already out there could be used in different ways. And I'm, I'm just, I think that's it. I don't know, but I think it is. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And uh, by the way, for thoughts on that or anything else, uh, please feel free to email me at Mark, and that's with a C, as he was, Milton over there was so happy but to. You didn't mention the spelling. Somebody's got to look out for you. Well, I, yeah, okay, but I'm in the moment, right? What are you, fracking Lawrence Olivier? Idiot. Anyway, <laughs> so it's mark at uh, fuseaudiodesign.com. Fuse, F-U-S-E, just like the fuse. Audiodesign.com, and um, I'd be thrilled to hear from you. So, uh, yeah, feel free to reach out. I would love to hear your comments on it. Where else are we? Yeah, I have a couple of other things here before we say adieu. Um, the next show, I, I, I do believe, the next show is going to be called Twisted Epiphanies. And it's based on a title of a series that we're, we've been producing now for um, how long? Two years. Thank you. That features writers, short, very short spoken word pieces, like a minute or two at the max. Some might call it poetry, but it's not that world, so don't think that. But what they are is uh, spoken word pieces that are audio enhanced for your enjoyment. 
And um, this is another one of those concepts that we're trying to kind of mutate into this new delivery system, whatever that's going to be, which would involve images and, and spoken word and stuff. So we'll probably feature uh, one or two of those little things uh, next time. Um, and as well as the musical thing, I think uh, I will feature a little bit of uh, next week as, as well. But I will tease you with this strangeness. satellite or something. Look at that. It's making the ground kind of ripple. You see that? Whoa. Hey, watch out. It's moving. <laughs> that piece is called Discovery. And uh, it's on an album by a gentleman, a non de plus, uh, by the name of Kryl Goust. Kryl Goust was a character we created for Dry Smoke and Whispers, who was allegedly the Angelo Bondalamonte of Dry Smoke. <laughs> Angelo Bondalamonte is the, the guy who wrote all the music for Twin Peaks, uh, among other things. He's quite the composer. But anyway, so we crafted this guy to kind of be an interdimensional version of him. But anyway, uh, this album is, is going to have a bunch of weird things like that. Also, some very seriously musical things as was once said, and uh, um, just some fun. So we'll, we'll spot through some of those and, and whet your appetite for that and see if you enjoy it. And uh, the last thing I want to throw out is that while I was listening to uh, the Overnightscape Central the other night, it just occurred to me that one of the great ways that, that uh, kind of used to be done in the early podcast things was a little cross-pollination among programmers. And... Uh, I certainly am totally keen and up and available and, and wanting to do that. Um, whether it's sharing little bits on other shows or having you share stuff here, whatever. You know, my, my, my idea about this was the same as Zap Comics used to do back in the day where they had the, the jam, the show jam, if you will where you basically have a bunch of folks just contributing to, in this case, they were artists and they were all contributing to either a panel or several panels or one artist would start something and the other artist would finish it, whatever it is. I'm, I'm not proposing that for this. I'm just saying that it would be fun to have a little uh, cross-show pollination. And I think it just, it exposes people to a wider range of folks by doing this. So it's, it's just something to think about. Um, and again, I don't, like I said, I don't want to reinvent the wheel here. This is not 
Overnight Skeep Central. This is just a kind of a little different jammy thing that we could do, and it might be fun. So if you have an interest in that, uh, again, let me know, and, and we will see. So this was a, a, a wee longer than last time, and I suspect they will get longer and longer as we, uh, <laughs> as we progress through this. Oh, shut up. Again, thank you so much for tuning in here and, and being part of this. And um, I look forward to uh, chatting again on the next episode, which will be called uh, Twisted Epiphanies. So until our next cartoon, do take care. Mm-hmm.